never look at your state, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast live every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Folks, right here on the on our flagship network, that's the Global Star Radio Network. You can hear us live, also by archive. We are also simulcast on BTR, Blog Talk Radio. You can watch us live and by archive, of course, on our YouTube channel. See, we're right there. I can see us. So I know we are. And uh, links to each audio and video broadcasting menu can be found on our home base at uh, HagmanandHagman.com, HagmanandHagman.com. Don't forget, folks, we do also have um, HagmanReport.com. That's uh, really show prep. That's our news information um, analysis uh, site. And, of course, Proof of Life will be delivered to HomelandSecurityUS.com. That's uh, HomelandSecurityUS.com. I'm going to be... Uh, uh, again, I'm going to be reactivating that. I'm going to become much more active on that. Well, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with fellow investigator researcher, and of course my son Joe Hagman. Together, we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. We dig in deep into topics that the mass media doesn't. Got a lot. Got a full plate for you to cover tonight. It is just going to be as the program unfolds. It is just going to be Joe and I. We are going to be digging deep into this news-heavy. Um. Uh, wow, just this <laughs> being set up. Folks, we're all being gamed. And um, before, Joe, before I turn it over to you, I just want to kind of recap a couple of things. Um, we're being set up, just so everyone knows, in case you haven't figured it out yet, we are being set up like it no other time in history. We're being set up for civil war. We're being set up for revolution. We're being set up uh, in a number of different ways, but politically most assuredly politically. Um, I had written about this a couple of years ago. My intelligence insider, the, uh, the uh, my source within DHS, said that this was the goal and objective. Was he off by some time? Of course. You know, you, you don't. It's it's difficult to predict uh, events. 
um, when the timing of the events, but nonetheless, this is exactly going off exactly as he as he predicted in terms of inciting the people, the people of the United States, the citizens of the United States, to to, to riot, and they're going to use racial division. They're going to use um, income diversity. They're going to use the the Muslim and um, other than Mexicans and Mexicans into this country as as a force to cause further division. And um, um, you know the Black Lives Matter. They're going to be using organizations such as Black Lives Matter. The uh, also the uh, the red organizations, Joe, you know, the uh, the communist organizations that are being financed by the Ford Foundation, Carnegie, uh, uh, Soros, Open Society Institute, and such. They're going to be using those, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, they're using all these different uh, psychological operations and psychological uh, agenda-setting <clears throat> uh, techniques from using tactics from the mainstream media agenda-setting mm-hmm. to right. perception, uh, public knowledge, and swaying and shaping of public opinion. Yep. Doing this by media and the social media agenda, the way things are covered. Um, they have, you know, these just different branches, uh, in the, in the psychological operations and the information warfare. Um, it, it's mind boggling to know the depth of Decisiveness; these people are willing to go to. Well, divisiveness. You mean not decisiveness? They've decided now they're going to divide. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and the the uh, you know risk um, mitigation factors that they have in place: the Hegelian dialect, problem, reaction, solution. Yep. Um, All these are are being put to work right before our eyes, and. It's gonna get ugly. Just on 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 average here, what I'm what I'm seeing here, it looks as if they have decided that they are going to basically push some buttons, make some decisions, and and actually uh, bring us to the precipice, and then we'll do the rest. You know, it's a lot easier, folks. It's much easier to get. To, to create an environment and, and, and to make it sound, or for example, create a situation and cause a reaction. Yeah. Okay. The media has right. tremendous power in, in setting and shaping political discourse and public opinion. But, but, and this is their first line, uh, against the public. Exactly. And, and you, you create the, the environment that makes it appear that it was all our idea. In other words, they're not going to go out and 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 kind of punch us in the face and to 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 prompt a response. It, not that overtly. They're going to convince us that we've been hit in the face, and then we are going to respond or react. I shouldn't say respond, but react to that particular situation. And and by doing so, they are then going to create that solution, which will be you know emergency po- police powers, uh, anything and everything that will. Advance the agenda of global dominance or, or global governance and subjugation. That's what we're headed for. But, and, and you know, I listened to, um, before the show gets started, I, I, well, I, I listened to a number of radio talk show hosts over the weekend, um, and early today, early, early today, and throughout the day. 
And it's just interesting at the shallow nature of how they many are addressing this. Others are doing a good job, uh, but but some are just very shallow in terms of the the, the depth in which they're addressing this. They're not thinking big enough. And, and I, it's a nice program. If nothing else, we want you to think a little bit bigger. Go to the source. A um, couple of things before we really get get into the throes of the program. Um, I want to thank everyone who uh, who ordered my book, Stained by Blood. Uh, off of the website Stained by Blood, where they ask for a, uh, where you ask for a, a, a signed copy. All of those have gone out, but with that comes a, an interesting story. They, they went out twice. Well, actually, they didn't go out twice. They went out of the office twice, came back in twice, and then went out a third time. Are, are you mic'd up? Are you mic'd up? No. Oh, okay. No, that's all right. Sorry, I don't. We don't need the sound. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, here's. So thank you for that. I, I still have a, a portion of a box left of the shipment of the first edition. So uh, if anyone does, if anyone would like a signed copy, certainly just go to standbyblood.com and you'll see it on the right hand side where it asks for, um, like you know, who who would you like it personalized to, and then you just click buy now, and twenty bucks includes shipping. So I, I think I've got. I'm not. I'm not exactly. I'm not sure of the number, but not many. It's in the double digits, low double digits, uh, maybe twenty, twenty-five, thirty, something like that left. But um, so anyway, all of the all of those of you who have ordered books through Sunday night, they, they've all gone out. But I took on Friday. I took a uh, what do you call those carriers? Postal carriers. Yeah, they're uh, yeah USPS postal yeah. carriers. They're boxes that people use to carry. Um, they have uh, a name, just carriers, just boxes, I guess. Yeah, yeah f- filled with envelopes. Um, that we we have a little machine here that you know, a little label maker that makes stamps and you know, the, the free version of stamps. And you just well, I mean, you know what I mean. So I printed off postage and and I was really careful. And this is one thing I'd really like to do. Presentation is important to me, and this is why I'm mentioning this. Um, and and you, you, you'll sh- I want I, w- I want everyone really to share in my frustration because this is kind of funny too. Um, but presentation is important to me, so I really spent a lot of time making sure that that you know I went through, I looked at every book to make sure it was okay, and I you know wrote wrote a few things of the book and. Um, you know, I addressed it to everyone, and I did the labels. I did the, you know, all of the labels and stuff, and put the stamp on, put this postage on. I weighed them; they're all weighed the same. But <clears throat> so I go through this whole process last week and or Friday, I think, and I took a, a box down Friday to the post office, and then today I was taking two two of those crates or things. So my wife drops me off, <clears throat> and I go in with two. You, you, postal carriers full of books that are going out. I walk in and there's this line to the, there's one person, there's one, one guy working behind the counter and there's this line that, that kind of extends right to the doors. And uh, I just, you know, I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, well, I mean, I had everything all stamped up, but I had a question because did you know folks that the postage went down? No, I this did weekend? not. Yeah, it went down on some items, like two cents. So, <laughs> when I had restarted my 
label maker that makes the labels and stamps, I, I couldn't find the, the the same weight. Things were different. So I, it really you know, it made me curious. So I waited in line with these two big postal carrier things, and finally I get to the, it was like 10, 15 minutes, and, and the, the guy ahead of me, and I don't know, do you remember what I told you he said, uh, Eric? Remember? He, he, he was he he had a look for he wanted and, and you do the voice just like he said he wanted to know about the different types of I, I don't get this the um, Eric captured this voice and I don't get this how people could I don't know maybe I'm missing something but you know what kind of stamps do you have do you have like flowers do you have oh that's it yeah 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 so. You know, I'm waiting behind this. What kind of stamps do you have? That's exactly. I, I, I'm not making this up, and this is not to disparage anyone. That's exactly how he said it in, in a loud voice, and it just cracked me up. But anyway, so it's finally my turn. I, go, I get up to the counter, and I, I I put these two big containers on the counter, and I said, "Okay, uh, I just want to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong here." And he looked at the return uh, address, and he said, uh, "Hey, what's in here?" I thought, man. Uh, why? He said, um, I, I said, well, why, why do you need to know that? He said, well, I got a box for you. And he proceeds to go in the back room and brings out the, the box I took Friday. Never mailed, never sent out. And he puts it on the counter and he said, look, you mismarked, you've got the wrong postage on here. So I, I flagged all of these for you, and I and I didn't put them through. I brought them back, and it's a pretty big post office. And, and anyway, he said, uh, "So you're going to have to pay seventy six more cents on each one of these." I said, "Okay, another problem." So I figured I could do it right there. No, no, you can't do it right there. You got to take it back and redo the postage. So I figured, okay, I come back to the office and uh, create more postage on my little postage meter thing that's attached to the computer. So I went in with two crates, and I told my wife to, you know, just wash me and, and pick me up, and then because I shouldn't be carrying anything. So now I'm lugging three crates out. And she's like, what happened? What's going on? And I was in there for 30 minutes probably. And I said, I, I, I made a mistake on the postage. So the guy was kind enough to, to not put these through and have it postage due or returned. So, okay. And she said, oh, you know, all right. So came back to the office, and we we attempted to, to create the postage that was the difference in postage. Couldn't do it because I don't have that kind of account. So I was I started to go through and get that account, and it got all messed up. So I said, no, nah, never mind. I'll just take these back to the post office and uh, have them run off the extra postage. There's a moral to this story. Okay, so just hey, you know, bear with me. So I, now I'm, I, my wife takes me back to the post office, and I carry in three, and then she actually carried in one of them. And I carried two, and she's towing the other one behind. We wait in line again, and, and the, the same thing, you know, um, the two guys at the counter wanting stamps, and but not wanting stamps, but wanting to to look at the kinds of stamps they could pick out. Now, I, and I never really understood that. But anyway, so I went back, and the same guy was there. It was only one person working. We had another, you know, same line behind us. Now I've got three big crates of 
of books, basically, envelopes. And a whole lot of people behind me, I could feel the eyes, like, darting in the back of my head and thinking, oh, man, you know, I'm going to have a riot behind me. And I said, what can I do? Um, you know, you told me I was 76 cents short. I, I couldn't print it on a meter. So what's the easiest way? Because, you know, I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of the line behind me. I don't want to, you know, hang anyone up. He said, uh, well, we, we don't have 76 cent stamps. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't figure you did. Can you just print me out, you know, a whole bunch of 76 cent postage sticker things? Can't do it. Oh man. Okay. So so now what? Do I you know rip off the old postage and save it, or what do I do? He said, "No. Here's what we need to do. We need to get. Uh, we need to find out the right combination of stamps, and that adds up to seventy six cents. And then um, you need to buy those. How hard can that be? Really? Now keep in mind, these are the people. The federal employees are the, are the people who run the healthcare system." Okay. Yeah, I know it's not the post office, but they they run the same same. Think about that. So, it took me a good ten minutes. Took him a good ten minutes. A calculator and another person to figure out how much, how many different kinds of stamps. Because apparently they've got like you know forty or sixty. They have sixty cent stamps. Why I don't know, but they do. And uh, five cent and three cent stamps. So I ended up having to get. After all this was said and done, he finally brings out a whole bunch of sixty-eight cent stamps and five cent stamps and three cent stamps. Which, of course, the three come to seventy-six cents. So, I you know by this time now the people behind me are about ready to. I mean they're fashioning uh, ropes, you know, nooses. Okay. Uh, I hear the, the, the racking of, uh, of, uh, chambers. I'm, I'm hearing grumbling. But it's okay for people to, you know, s- stand there for five minutes and look through the stamps. Through no, no fault of mine. So anyway, by the time he gave me the, the 76 cents worth of stamps and these in different, uh, in different, um, what do you call them? Uh, denominations, I guess. Finally, my wife and I went over to the table there and proceeded for the next hour to stamp these envelopes. And it was about 45 minutes into the into this whole process when my wife said to me, you know, somebody's going to take a look at one of these envelopes and they're going to think there's a hidden message <clears throat> because there's a there was a I think a butterfly, a teapot, a coffee pot or something. It was just some strange random thing on the stamps. <clears throat> All that to say this, <clears throat> the books are out. If you get an envelope that has regular postage and then three stamps, and you look at it and you think, what's that? That's the story behind it. There's no secret coded message or anything like that. It was just one of those things. And my apologies for the people that stood behind me in the um, in line. <clears throat> but, it, you know, hey, it was, it was a pretty pretty major production to come up with a 76-cent total. In in uh, the different denomination stamps, but but think about that. Here we have, and, and I, I did call the guy Newman, postal employee Newman, at one point. I think maybe that might have been an issue. I, I don't know how many people are familiar with Seinfeld, the, the sitcom, but 
Um, that did come out of my mouth. And uh, <laughs> so, at any rate. Yeah, probably not the brightest. No, but um, I guess all that to say this. If you, I've got like, now I know. Now I know how exactly how much it is supposed to be and how and I know all that now so number one uh, those who've ordered will get their books number two if I've got I think like I said 25 30 I don't exactly know how much how many in the in the, in the, in the box um, if you want one go ahead to standbyblood.com and, and order and thirdly uh, don't forget um, the po- I mean I mean the federal government uh, they're here to help yeah so all of that, and, and speaking of the federal government, the issue that we're going to get into today is the the federal elections and how we're seeing everything being deconstructed around us and, and imploded upon us. By the way, g- g- give me a break, guys. Too it was my it was our twenty fifth wedding anniversary this weekend or this last week, and um, I forgot. <laughs> is that okay to admit that? Initially, I mean, the, the day of, I forgot, so we, my wife and I celebrated this weekend. And, but she forgot, too. And I said, that's because we're both comfortable. Is that, guys, is that going to, ladies, is that comfortable love? Is that going to help us out? I mean, is that, is that a good, I think she bought it. We're comfortable in love, so we really don't, you know, dates aren't that important to us. Is that okay? What do you think? All right, ladies. If if you think that was a bad thing, but again, she forgot it too. So, all right. I know, I know. You probably didn't need to hear all that, but but thank you for again, thank you for your patience and and understanding. But I thought it was kind of funny. I guess you you really had to be there more than me relating that story to you. And and you know, it's just uh, when you. It, when you look at the the operation of the federal government, you have to ask yourself how much of it is incompetence versus how much is is being done deliberately. And I think that at many levels we ascribe conspiracy to incompetence, but on the larger scale of things, we ascribe incompetence in place of conspiracy. On the bigger things, I think at the lower levels, I think you've got a lot of incompetence, and that's done by design. But I think at the higher levels, it's not incompetence; it's deliberate. That's just that's just my, my 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 thinking. All right, yeah. Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by American Survival Wholesale. AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Have you gone to their website lately? Their website's down? Possibly down. All right. AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. By the way, they do, they, they formulate packs for, you know, for, uh, um, they do free phone consultations. If you've got special dietary needs, whether it be gluten-free, you're, you're on a gluten-restricted diet, or... Uh, whatever the case might be, you can certainly pick up the phone, contact American Survival Wholesale directly, and they will work with you to create a package for you. That's AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. That's AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Do get prepared. Do get prepared. All right. Let's get into this. Uh, how many people are upset about what's going on and what happened in, in Colorado? How many people know and... and how many people believe that that Trump, by a show of hands, how many people believe that Trump got robbed? Hmm? Well, there are um, some other voices talking about what happened. Now, Colorado <clears throat> did not have a, a 
public vote, a vote of the Republicans or any type of caucus or primary vote in their state, they have just decided that Ted Cruz won the delegates. And this is not, or it is news, it's very newsworthy, but I guess we really missed something along the way. Because as my, my father has pointed out to me, and, and we talked before the show, they have been planning on doing this for a while now. Right. Well, all right. <laughs> Let's go back, and I'm not sure how many people have, have heard this. George Washington, and this is historically, this is something that I think people really need to understand. When we talk about political parties, we have to understand that, that we did not have the, the political structure at the time of our founding that we do today. George Washington warned us about political parties. He warned future generations of exactly what is happening right now and, and has been happening for some time. And uh, I've got a couple of excerpts from George Washington's farewell address in 19, or 1796 about the dangers of political parties. Let's start here. <clears throat> so again, some excerpts from his farewell address. George Washington, all he, he stated this, all obstructions to the execution of the laws, all combinations and associations under whatever plausible character, character, with the real design to direct, control, counteract, or awe the regular deliberation and action of the constituted authorities, are destructive of this fundamental principle and fatal and of fatal tendency. Meaning, you get a couple of groups together; it's against the against the greater good. In these groups, he, he stated this, they serve to organize faction, to give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation and the will of a party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community. And according to the alternate, uh, I'm sorry, alternate triumphs of different parties, to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction in other words, division. That's my statement in there. Rather than the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by, by mutual interests. In other words, political parties in the warning of George Washington in 1796 are divisive. However combinations, he stated, or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, meaning that, hey, one might adhere to one mindset over another. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government. That's what he said. And in continuing, destroying afterwards the very engines which had lifted them to unjust dominion. In other words, somebody rises, raises you up, the people, the will of the people, this particular party, and especially the interests of that party, well, they will have unjust dominion over that person, that candidate. He also stated this, I have already intimated, int, yeah, in, intimated to you, the dangers of parties in the state, with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. 
Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. And he goes on to say, The spirit is inseparable from our nature, having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed, but in those of the popular form it is seen its in its greatest rankness and is truly their worst enemy. What he's saying here is with come politi- with political party parties and partisanship comes mischief and comes the influx, the service of those parties to not just distract from the public good, but also to be hijacked, and that's exactly what's happened today. These, uh, at least on the Republican side, the Republican Party has been hijacked. He also writes that, or stated this: it opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. All right? And and he goes on, but you get the idea. The idea here is George Washington had warned about exactly what we're seeing. And you can search this yourself. You can look and search his farewell address of 1796 and with that, the dangers of political parties. And one might think, well, wait a minute, hasn't it always been this way? Well, to, to an extent, but not to this extent. Another thing, too, very quickly, we are not a democracy. And I just, I cringe every time we hear um, right. the word democracy. We're, We're a representative a republic. We're a representative republic, right. And um, so that is the constitutional structure of our elections and the story all right now having said all of that what happened in colorado did we see this coming yes yes we did see this coming and we should have seen this coming all right but is it right well a lot of times what's legal is not ethical and a lot of times what's um you know what what someone can do they 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 shouldn't do a lot of times we are we are prisoners of perception are we not if uh, how many times have you looked at something uh, a situation and believed it to be one way and would have reacted if you did react perhaps you reacted one way but upon just stepping back instead of reacting you respond after you have the facts. That's what, that's what we have here. Now, I'm not excusing in any way, shape, or form what Colorado did. I will, we will explain it, but I'm not excusing it. And I don't, certainly don't agree with it. But there was plenty of warning for this. The architects of this are the GOP establishment, which means, which I mean to say, the architects are of, of what happened in Colorado are the globalists and I, I now I firmly believe more today than ever before that at the end of the day we are not going to have a Trump ticket we're probably not going to have a cruise ticket we might have a Bush ticket or a Paul Ryan ticket or a Paul Ryan ticket 
Donald Trump today accused Colorado, saying the people of Colorado had their vote taken away from them by the phony politicians. Biggest story in politics. Hope this will not be allowed. And then, Eric, I don't know if you got that screenshot from the front of Drudge. There's a tweet from the Colorado GOP. Which they hurried, hurriedly denied that they sent it. They said, oh, we didn't, we didn't send this. We didn't from send this. From the 9th of April yep. uh, at 8.07 p.m. from the Colorado GOP, they say, we did it. Hashtag never Trump. Folks, you can go to the front yeah, of right. Drudge. But, but see, see, but the see they said, oh, no, it wasn't us. That Somebody had to hack into our, our feed. We did not do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, there's just a coincidence that the same day that the Colorado delegates were all given to Ted Cruz, that that tweet happens to make its way out in the public uh, arena. Well, okay, very quickly, <coughs> just some, just so everyone understands really what this is all about in the larger sense. Let's take a step back and look at the, the Republican, the GOP, and the Republican National Convention, which will take place which is scheduled to take place July 18th through the 21st, 2016. Okay, what's what's the structure of this? And what's this all about? Well, th- there are only two scenarios that can happen, or that do happen at conventions, whether, well, in Republican conventions in this case. There's only two, two things that can happen. The presumptive nominee is selected and put on the ticket, or there is an open contested or brokered convention and basically those three words mean the same thing which means that no single candidate um, has achieved the necessary number number of delegates before delegates uh, to, before the convention that number is 1237 which represents 50% of the delegates plus one person for a simple majority understand that there are 2472 delegates so half of that plus one is 1,237. The final primaries are June 7th. So when at the, at the time of the convention, you have all of the, del, del, all of the 2,472 delegates uh, uh, join the convention in Cleveland, Ohio. They have a roll call or a, a vote. Now, on the first ballot, 95% are bound. They are obligated to vote for the candidate to whom their support has been allotted by results of the primary or caucus in their state. Let me, let me say that again. 95%, about 95% of the delegates are obligated to vote for the candidate to whom their support has been allotted from the primary or the caucus, whatever it was, in the state. But that's not saying that they are bound or obligated to vote for the candidate who won the primary. They're saying they're obligated obligated to vote for the candidate to whom their support was allotted. By popular vote or by vote. Or, okay, I'm sorry. Because look by at Louisiana. Louisiana, Trump won the majority of delegates, or won the popular vote, walked away with less delegates than Ted Cruz. Okay, I understand that, but we're talking now. We're talking at the convention level. We're talking at the federal level. That that was at the state um, primary or the, the state level. Now we're talking when when all of the delegates okay get together, 
It doesn't matter what happened before. Just forget about what so happened before. All, we'll, we'll get to okay, that later. So 95 out of the 100%. 95 out of the 100% must vote for the person to whom their support has been allotted by way of the results of the primary or caucus in their state. Now, there is a rule book that's done every every with every election. The RNC um, creates a rule book. Okay, the rules committee, a rules committee is established by the by the party itself. In this case, the Republican Party, and every for every election, a rule book is made. And it's done by the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee are, it consists of 57 out of, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, the Rules Committee, uh, consists of 112 delegates, one man and one woman from each state. Okay? Plus, uh, from every voting precinct, or every voting Geographic, geographic area. One man and one woman from each state are elected to the state delegate conventions. And so, they change, or they look at the rules from the last election, from the 2012 election, and they, they say, okay, which rules are we going to keep? Which rules are we going to change? So just as the rules were shaped around Romney's second bid in 2012, they could be changed to Oh, maybe ensure or assure a Trump nomination or a Cruz nomination. So you've got 57 people, one man and one woman, that comprise, or 112, I'm sorry, 112 that comprise the Rules Committee that look at the rules and decide which rules stay, which rules go, which rules are changed, and any new rules that they want to make. This avoids adhering to rules from a previous election that are outdated or inapplicable or whatever. And you can find the rule book, RNC rule book, online. Now, they need, for any changes, they need a majority of the 112, a simple majority, 56 plus 1, or 57 delegates, to make changes. I'm just trying to explain, hopefully everyone... Everyone's following here. 42 rules govern the Republican Party and how it picks a presidential candidate. All right. With a nomination, it's very possible that, that we could be, we could be looking at, and, and probable at this point, perhaps, that we could be looking at an open or contested or brokered convention. Um, there, uh, delegates can change the procedures to help or hurt any candidate they want. Ten con- contested conventions, right? So far, right. And out of the ten, what? Only three times in, in history, out of the ten brokered, contested, open conventions on the Republican side, only three times has a front runner, front runner, won. Yep. All right. Now, how complicated? <clears throat> excuse me. How complicated is this? All right. It, it seems it seems like it's cumbersome, antiquated, and, and extremely complicated. Does it reflect the will of the people? In theory, it does, but does it really? Especially when people can change the rules. And herein lies the foundation for what happened in Colorado. 
because I just spoke, we just spoke about the federal rules for the RNC and for the Republican Party, the GOP. Now, each individual states, before, before, even before the uh, convention, each individual states get to make up their rules for their primary, their caucus, their whatever it might be. And this is what happened in Colorado this past weekend. So, it was last August when officials with the Republican Party in Colorado decided that they would not let voters take part in the early nomination process. This was announced and changed last uh, last August. If you read from the Denver Post, August 25th, the Republican executive, the GOP executive committee voted to cancel the traditional presidential preference poll. This is done now by polling here in, in Colorado. After the national party changes rules to require a state's delegates to support the candidate that wins the caucus vote. I'm sorry. It's a caucus state. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I went ahead, ahead of myself there. What this did was take Colorado off the map in the primaries, for the primaries. So, it, it was, that happened in August. No one said anything. Well, there were, there were some, there were some issues. There were some editorials that were a little bit down on the RNC. And there were some people paying attention back last August, September, October. If you look at the writings and look on the, uh, and here's what really folks you really need to see. Watch, or, or you can go back and you can look at the different comments on the Republican, on the, on the like red state and anything Republican or GOP centered, politically centered. You can see the Carl Rovian machinery at work here. You can see the establishment machine at work here. It's very important to, very important to understand. <laughs> no local caucuses in Colorado could vote delegates for president to the state convention. At the, at the state convention, there were a lot of Trump supporters who wanted to be delegates. So many people wanted to be delegates, and this is important, that they were given numbers, and then delegates were selected by numbers. The problem, many Trump supporters only matched up with, their numbers only matched up with a cruise supporter, a cruise delegate. So in other words, that selection process was basically rigged. There are, and, and you can see on that on that Twitter feed that you have, and on the front page of Drudge, you can see where one of the delegates for Trump said, "I wasn't allowed in." It wasn't really the fact that he wasn't allowed in; his number wasn't selected, which is which is not not right because they changed the rules at the state level. In August 25th, the General Post reported that the GOP Executive Committee has voted to cancel the traditional presidential pre- uh, preference poll after the National Party changed its rules to require a state's delegates to support the candidate that wins the caucus vote. So this is what happened back last fall, last summer, late last summer, last fall. In February, just before Super Tuesday, the Denver Post published this scathing editorial saying that 
the party made a tremendous mistake. They they wrote this: GOP leaders have never provided a satisfactory reason for for foregoing a presidential preference poll, although party. Um, the state party chairman, Steve House, suggested on radio, on the, on the radio, at one point that too many Republicans would otherwise flock to their local caucus. In other words, we got too many people. We, we can't have so many people. Yeah, and the uh, state Republican party chairman, Steve House, said that 24, uh, the party's 24 member executive committee made the unanimous decision with six members being absent to skip the preference poll. That's right. So, to to explain this, and we we've got more, but you've got to understand the mechanisms by which that the the, the entire system is being rigged. He goes on to say the move he says would give Colorado delegates the freedom to support any candidate eligible at the Cleveland convention in July. Republican National Committee officials confirmed that the change complies with party rules. Goes on to say if we do the if we do a Binding presidential preference pool, we would then pledge our delegates and the candidates we bind them to may not be in the race by the time we get to the convention, House said in an interview. This is from the 25th uh, of April, or I'm sorry, of August last year. Right. And it goes on to say, the caucus is likely to occur in February, but party officials will meet next month to finalize the date. In 2008 and in 2012, diehard Republican voters gathered at caucus meetings to begin the delegate selection process of selecting delegates to the national convention and voice support for presidential candidates in a straw poll. The votes, however, didn't require Colorado delegates to support any particular candidate at the national convention. This allowed for delegates that supported a losing candidate to vote for the nominee and demonstrate party unity at the convention. But it opened the door for political mischief, they said, as Colorado saw in 2012 when Ron Paul supporters managed to win a significant portion of the state's delegates, even though he finished far behind the other candidates in the caucus. In 2012, the RNC tightened the rules to eliminate non-binding straw polls that help prevent similar stunts in the future, forcing Colorado Republicans to reevaluate their process. An effort earlier this year to switch to a presidential primary system failed amid party infighting. And, and, and there it is. The infighting um, was done, was was actually, um, the delegates can be given bling. I don't know how else. I, I don't want to, uh, um, bought off is too hard of a word or too hard of a phrase, but delegates can be wined and dined. Um yeah. That's part of the the process. This is which is why I mentioned George Washington's warning back in 1796, because being a delegate means that you could be your opinion can be swayed, and instead of uh, instead of following your the, the people who put you in that position, you say, "Look, I'm a Trump supporter, or I'm a Cruz supporter, or I'm a Smith supporter, whatever it might be." Instead of following their lead, no, you follow the. The, the the money the, the the gifts the swag the bling the whatever the you know however you're lobbied <clears throat> now is that legal yes to an extent is that ethical or moral or consistent with our constitution no of course not <clears throat> so l- let's zoom back out here in the remaining few minutes we have at this hour so okay so w- w- what about this what about the uh, Republican National Convention. Just to, just to recap this, 2,472 delegates. 
are to be at the, the Republican National Convention. Where? Cleveland, Ohio. When? July 18th through the 21st. It is their votes, not yours, but their votes, who decide who will become the GOP's presidential nominee. That which, and everyone's talking about this number, 1,237. That's 50% plus one. They need get going into the convention in order for them to be the presumptive nominee. So the, the Cruz or Trump or whoever needs to already have in their pocket 1,237 committed delegates in order to win the nomination and not uh, not go to a brokered con- convention or a contested convention. That's how the process works. The final Republican primaries are held on June 7th, well in advance of the convention. So we'll know shortly after June 7th, on or about that date, if the Republican, if the RNC or the GOP is going to have a brokered convention, an open convention, a contested convention. Now the delegates, or the candidates, I'm sorry, would arrive at the convention with the identity of the nominee, uh, in this case, in doubt, for the first time, if this does happen since 1976. The last time this happened was 1976, when then-incumbent Ford, Gerald R., remember, Bicentennial Minute Gerald Ford, he held off a challenge from Reagan and his supporters. Now, as I mentioned before, Joe, at the first time around, the first ballot, 95% of the delegates will be bound. That means that they're obligated to vote for the candidate to whom their support has been allotted by the primary or caucus in their state. And Trump is virtually assured of winning a strong majority or plurality on the first ballot, but assuming, let's assume for a moment, that he fails to win an outright majority, meaning 1237 or greater, he could be in a much weaker position because from there... You, you take more they votes, say, um, subsequent votes. By estimate, the proportion of total delegates falls from about 95% on the first ballot to 25% on the second ballot. That's right. And that process continues. California delegates, for example, are bound for the first two ballots, but then are free to vote as they please. In a winner-take-all state of Florida, its 99 delegates are bound to the primary winner, Trump, for the first three ballots. But will delegates who become unbound always change their minds? And there it is. And that's good. See, it, it sounds complicated, but when you really kind of go through this and understand it, you'll understand that it's really not that complicated, except when people throw in and, and you know, hey, uh, they lobby delegates or and, try to buy them off or, you know, whatever. And before we close this out, I want to mention, you know, Ted Cruz has, has spent uh, a lot of money to keep his vital records sealed. He himself is not eligible to be uh, the president, yet the media continues to go along with this scheme that he is eligible. That's right. And um, it, it, what, what this it, does... a moral... The, the moral uh, victory, I guess, right? Yeah, and there's also a story by Davy Kidd here. <coughs> Excuse me, on newswithviews.com. Ted Cruz, not on New Jersey ballot, will hear... Uh, Will hearing today finally expose <clears throat> his con game? In December 8th, attorney Leo Donofrio. D- Donofrio. Donofrio. We, we had him on our program, Leo Donofrio. Not too, I guess it was 
2011, maybe. Filed the challenge to keep a pair of conmen <clears throat> off the ballot for presidential preference. John McCain and Barry Satoro, a.k.a. Obama. Leo was not denied because of standing, not to rehash years of litigation, but Leo ended up petitioning the U.S. Supreme Court, who hid behind their dirty black robes. The high court refused to hear one of the most important legal issues of our time, presidential eligibility. That's right. Shenanigans by clerks at the U.S. Supreme Court should have prompted an investigation by Congress, but of course that never happened. Justice Clarence Thomas disgraced himself when he said during a congressional subcommittee hearing regarding presidential eligibility, we're evading that one. Everybody, including Thomas, laughed. Uh, They all laughed. Over 90 lawsuits were brought to stop the criminal imposter in the White House from running for president. Because Barry Satoro, a.k.a. Obama, known as other aliases, is clearly not a natural-born citizen, despite the massive amount of legal research based on court cases and historical documents defining natural-born citizens. Buffoons in the media, print and electronic, as well as boob tube experts, talk show biggies, and the corrupt machines called RNC and DNC, which are non-governmental organizations and are not bound, or uh, Congress doesn't write their rules for them, nor either does the Constitution, I might add. Uh... And those are my words, not hers. But it says they continue to distort the truth by declaring only one parent must be a U.S. citizen. Wrong. Both parents must be U.S. citizens at the time the child is born. Now it goes on to say um, <clears throat> there are several lawsuits requesting for hearings to stop Ted Cruz that have already been thrown out on technical grounds or simply because never of the, the day, we're man. not going to deal with this syndrome by lower judges or election officials. That's right. And, and it continues. See, and somebody had mistaken my, uh, somebody sent me an email saying, why are you giving Cruz a, a pass on eligibility? I'm not. I'm saying, you know, uh, I am saying to that email, or this was a week or two ago, to that email or to every one of the listeners out there, eligibility, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, I don't care if you're conservative or liberal, if you are not eligible by the Constitution of the United States, as Cruz is not then you should not even be considered. You should be off the ticket. But see, we as a people have, we were told, Joe, so many times, everyone, all of the people said, oh, don't deal with this. That's a distraction. Deal, you know, argue the, the, uh, argue the, uh, the, the more, uh, substance, uh, matters of substance and not eligibility. It's a, that's a, that's an argument that no one can win. Well, no one can win because no one tried. No one, no one wanted to hear this because of standing or because of some obscure technicality. But the bottom line, Obama was not eligible. Cruz, according to the Constitution, is not eligible, and nor and neither is Rubio, for that matter. No. So, and we're going to cover this on the other side, folks. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Monday edition. We're talking about the non-Colorado vote, uh, the 2016 Colorado caucus, the swindle, giving Ted Cruz all the delegates. to see how all this ties together, buddy. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we're talking about the end game, and that's this is what this is all about. The end game. We're we're, we're walking you to what the end game we believe the end game will be, but giving you important background information in the interim. And I, I happen to see. Um, I, I don't I don't watch the chat in any venue that we have. I I just can't do two things at once. I can barely do one thing at one time. However. Uh, somebody says, well, you know, why are we even talking about this? Why don't we talk about something that we could actually do something about? There's two reasons we're talking about this. is because no one is giving you the bigger picture, or few are. I, I don't think, well, I haven't heard anyone on the radio give the bigger picture of what's really taking place here and what we believe. Certainly we, Joe and I, have done research, and we believe what's going to happen, why this is happening, and you better brace for impact. Because as we had talked before about that car going going off the cliff and, and bouncing and bouncing and bouncing and bouncing, this now we are going to have a, a significant impact. That's what we're being set up for. And if you don't understand that you walked into a casino in Las Vegas, one that is totally, you know, all of them obviously have the house edge, but this one, the casino called the elections in America. No, the House always wins. Who, who wins? Who's going to win this election? I can tell you exactly who's going to win. It's the, the globalists and the bankers. They're going to win. Mm-hmm. But what can we do about it? If we expose their machinations, we have a chance of doing something about it. That is, unless you are a turnip, and you're listening to this, and you're a turnip, or, or you've got the, the, the television remote super glued into your hand. Or you've got your, you're suffering from rectal cranial inversion. We can do something about it. Somebody asked also, and, and, and I'm just going to hit this real quick and toss it to Joe. Uh, because again, we're looking at the bigger picture of things. Colorado is a symptom. Mm-hmm. The elections 
are the little little trinkets that are being dangled in front of every American's face. You see, all eyes are on Colorado. Yeah, it's important. You got to know why. You got to know what's going on. But they want you to focus and fight. Because meanwhile, they're 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 they want you to look at be looking out the front door at Colorado and other things while they're coming in the back and, and robbing you blind. Now, that's not to say Colorado is not important because it is because it reveals the overt subjugation of the American people. Now, well, I got an email saying, "What's the difference between a caucus and a primary?" Eric the Tech, where he was having a good time with those those terms earlier today in the studio. I loved it. It was just his voice, man. Sometimes. Okay, what are caucuses? <laughs> his yeah, his fake voice. Sorry, Eric. Just uh, what a guy. Caucuses. What they what those are. And we saw these. Uh, they're, they're local meetings of registered party members who get together at various locations on a state level and discuss business. The state party organizes these events. Caucuses take place in gyms and at, at precincts or counties. And I mean, sometimes they're held in people's living rooms or town halls or other venues the people, the conquer, the caucus goers give speeches, debate, and, uh, they can convince others to vote like them. They say, you know, come on. Alright. Uh, the rules and methods for that practice vary from state to state. And even year by year, but often the voting is tallied by participants standing in groups that support their preferred candidates by a show of hands or by paper ballots. That's how that's what caucuses are. The plural for caucuses, cocci, I don't think so. But, you know, in states that have caucuses, Maine, Minnesota, Iowa, Kansas, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, Wyoming, North Dakota, Alaska, and Hawaii. The rest have primaries. All right. So what's a primary then? Primaries are run by the state government and are done by secret ballot at a polling place, at a voting place. Just, it's kind of like a general election. And there are two main types of primaries to make this even more intense of a civic lesson. Open and closed. In closed primaries, members vote in the party primary in which they're registered. Open primaries mean that registered voters can cast a ballot in any uh party primary, but they can only vote in one. That's the difference between a primary and a caucus. And caucuses are really, they they can be marathons. Um, They often have a lower voter turnout. But conversely, that often means that those who do show up are very political active active and uh, very passionate about what they feel. This is why the Colorado situation is important. There's a headline from the New York Times. As campaign seeks delegates, ordinary voters feel sidelined. When it comes to nominating presidential candidates, it turns out the world's foremost democracy is not so purely democratic. And -hmm. it goes on to give a a short history, um, going on to say basically if the, uh, if Donald Trump secures the nomination, Colorado's, uh, efforts here will be for nothing 
well, because yes. they've bound the delegates to a, a certain candidate That's right. without a popular a populist vote. And um, if Donald Trump does remain the winner, it would negate the relevancy of any delegate from Colorado. Say that last statement again. Make it, say that last statement again. If Donald Trump does secure the nomination, right. it would negate any um, relevancy from what they did in Colorado. To the extent that those people who were legitimately for Cruz were not pallied. Right. Okay. And, and I mean, this is the, the ruling elite's plan um, to rule this nation. They don't want the people to have a voice. This is their way of taking away the voice. And what recourse do the people have, the voting public have, in trying to rectify this or to make it right or to hear their voice heard? In many states, even if the delegates and if the people cast their primary votes and the delegates are counted, um, it does not matter. They have what are now known as superdelegates, which right, have been right. created uh, by the two-party systems, uh, each separately in their own way, in an ability to centralize power. That's kind of like a with good super way. Congress. Yep. Yeah, well, the Gang of Eight? Yes, yes. And, you know, they're doing this. Now, we see, in looking ahead into the future, on the 19th of April, there will be a primary held in New York. Now, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton both hold substantial leads over their primary rivals in New York just a week before the state's election. Trump's lead is a 33-point gap over the GOP field. That from an NBC News Wall Street poll that was released uh, today. Trump holds 54% of the likely Republican primary voters surveyed, compared to 21% for Ohio Governor John Kasich. Kasich. Uh, You're talking about the popular vote, right? For uh, Ted Cruz, yes. This is in a poll in a run-up to next week's primary in New York State. Okay. And don't forget, folks, again, mark your calendar. All primaries and caucuses are over by June 7th of this year for the Republican uh, nomination. And New York represents the second largest prize left on the calendar with 95 GOP GOP delegates, 14 to statewide winner, and the remaining 81 divided up by winner of congressional districts, three per district. Right. Um, Trump's margin is important as he stands to win all three delegates in any district where he hits 50%. If not, he'll split delegates with the second place finisher. Okay. As it stands now. Well, okay, and again, to continue the civics lesson, what's a delegate versus a super delegate? Delegates are... Delegates are... They're they're pledged delegates, in other words. Yeah. um, And they're chosen by voters, right? Super delegates? No, No, delegates are chosen by voters during the primaries and caucuses in each state. And they act as representatives voting on behalf of the the people who elected them. That's a delegate. A delegate. Right. Correct. And even though that delegate has to uh, vote the way of the people in the first vote, if if the first vote fails to bring about a, a candidate by 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 majority, then of course they can vote for whoever they want. Basically, um, it, it varies by state. There are various. It I should say it varies by state, but you get the idea. They can change their mind ultimately. And a superdelegate is, just very quickly, is um, 
they're selected outside of the primaries and caucuses. They are selected members of the political party. Um, they're chosen during the primary season. There's an article from bustle.com that says, uh, do geo, what about the GOP? Do Republicans get superdelegates? And they say the technical answer is yes, the Republican Party does have superdelegates. However, they function differently for the GOP than Democrats. Right. And in 2016, Republican superdelegates will have way less power than they did, um, last time around for some reason. I'm not sure what the changes are. Um, but they do not have as much power as they, uh, apparently did years before. Well, and, and this is important also. This is important to remember too because, you know, our program does, is, or is listened to by many, many people. Now, you remember Dave Hodges was on, uh, two weeks ago and he'll be, he's going to be on again this week to talk about, uh, certain things that are just unbelievably important to all of us. But, and, he talked about this. Well, I just want to say that he talked about this very issue. Remember what he said. He said that uh, uh, this is the time when the, when the uh, uh, previous and, and others said, "Hey, the, the people don't elect the, the nominee; we do." Mm-hmm. Okay. This article goes on to say the thing to keep in mind about delegates and superdelegates is that they were created not by Congress nor Constitution but by the parties themselves. The GOP and the Democratic Party are non-governmental organizations, and they can basically set whatever rules they'd like regarding delegates and how they're distributed. And, and this is this is what George Washington warned about, essentially, the, the different political parties and the, these cliques forming within each party. And this is why Karl Rove is smiling. Everything's going as planned. Yep. The GOP has uh, decided to establish fewer superdelegates than the Democrats. In the Republican Party, the only people who get superdelegate status are the three members of each state's national party. That means in the GOP, the superdelegates are only about 7% of the total number of delegates. The more important distinction is that Republican superdelegates do not have the freedom to vote for whichever candidate they please. The Republican, Republican National Committee ruled in 2015 that the superdelegates must vote for the candidate that their state voted for, and that's the biggest difference between Democratic and Republican superdelegates. Okay. Now, if your eyes are glazing over and you're saying, okay, enough of this boring stuff, let's get to the meat of it. Let's get, we, we need to lay the foundation because we, we have to understand the mechanics of, of the operation. Because, again, we don't live in a democracy. We don't uh, ink our finger you know, in the, in the inkwell to show that we voted. This is not a democracy. This is a constitutional republic, representative republic, whatever you want to call it, but it was set up in that fashion. And, and mob, this is not mob rule. So once we understand the rules of the game, then we can understand how they're being changed and who is changing them and to, to what ends. So let's go, let's take a trip back to September 15th of last year. What was going on then as it relates to Colorado? Well, there was a, the, the, remember the Fox News debate or the debate with on Fox News, the Republican debate, um, where Donald, it was one of the first where Donald Trump really kind of got a lead and people were saying, oh man, man, he might, he might take the nomination. Well, the RNC sent out a mailer just within three weeks after that debate in the wake of Donald Trump's rising numbers sent out a mailer the RNC was looking for a $3 donation the 
prize or the hook in this case was promising entry into a contest to win tickets to the Colorado debate for three bucks. You can get, hey, you might be able, you know, we can invite you to the Colorado debate or we can have you in there. Most people looked at that and probably thought, oh, this is harmless. Now, the Conservative Treehouse shed light, the website Conservative Treehouse uh, shed light on this back in September 15th, on September 15th of last year. But the people that thought this was meaningless or harmless, they weren't watching carefully because the request, the email, the mailer had additional meaning. The first flag, of course, according to the Conservative Treehouse website in the article from September 15th, the first flag was the sender. It wasn't a traditional participant in the RNC, the Republican apparatus. It was actually signed by, guess, Karl Rove. The second thing, Karl Rove was in Colorado two days before that. Um, in fact, Fox News, they broadcast from Colorado. And within three days of the email, Colorado announced the cancellation of their primaries. Now think of the, the chain of events here. Colorado will not vote for a Republican candidate for president in the 2016 caucus after party leaders approved a little-notice shift that may diminish the state's clout in the most open nomination contest in modern history. The GOP Executive Committee voted to cancel the traditional presidential preference poll, which you referenced earlier, after the National Party changed its rules to require states' delegates to support the candidate that wins the caucus vote. And Conservative House writes, well, perhaps this was merely a coincidence. However, given the establishment Republicans' activity underpinning the, the, their agenda, there's not much coincidental about this. And then a week later, August 30th, about a week later, August 30th of 2015, um, there was concern among the, the Rove Enterprise, Carl Rove, and the Rhinos and the establishment Republicans. As much as the RNC GOP establishment would like to take Trump out, it's obvious from within the party itself that they're increasingly recognizing they just can't take him down. All right, now they're starting to get desperate. So, watch, they write, watch the reports and news cycles closely in the lead up to the next debate, um, in last September. The, this, of course. And you're going to see the workings of this strategy, the promotion of various other, uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but the insight back in September, why Colorado took down their, um, the, the, uh, why Colorado took themselves out was a Carl Rove initiative. An establishment Republican initiative. And do you, um, also coming from this, and this is from Joe and I, our research, if you want to toss this up on the, uh, Eric, the picture of, um, the three people sitting at the table, the last, last picture. Did you get that? Uh, if you didn't, then no worries. All right. No, no worries. Okay. The newspaper. Yeah, no. Now, there's a picture that was taken very recently, like within the last six months, um, 
And you don't have to. I mean, it's no big deal. Uh, okay. Uh, Valerie Jarrett, Rupert Murdoch, I believe it was Rupert Murdoch, and Jeb Bush, all seated together at a dinner, a dining, or dinner table in a restaurant. Why is this important? Well, because we're seeing Colorado as a stepping stone, as a, as a, as, as a cog in the wheel to take out Trump. But not just Trump, but Cruz as well. So they could put an establishment Republican in that position. That's plan A. Plan B would be to go with Cruz, who would be weakened because of the lack of supporters of Cruz from the Trump supporters. And plan C would be to put somebody like Jeb Bush in there. But when you understand that the uniparty, the, there's only one party, and that's the globalists, working to destroy this country, making it appear that it's eroding politically, they want a globalist in that seat. How are they going to do that? Hillary Clinton? Or a Bush? Or even a Ryan? But Plan B certainly could be Cruz. But we don't think, and Joe, I don't think that's what they're planning. I think they want to take both Trump and Cruz out. We, again, uh, we had discussed this pretty much at yeah. length. What are your thoughts? Do you think that Cruz will be... Um, I hope not. Um, I mean, it's obvious we're not going to see a fair and balanced election process here. It's obvious that the people are not going to pick the um, candidate which they choose. It's going to be the establishment elite that chooses the candidate for them. Right. Do they want that to be Ted Cruz? I'm not sure. Would they rather put somebody else in who they know, who they trust? Well, is Cruz someone they know that they can trust? He's been in the political world for a long time. His wife's a member of the CFR. Right. And has ties to Goldman Sachs. He's worked on the, uh, on the Bush presidency. Right. So yeah, I mean, he very well could be. At the same time, they could be using him just to get rid of Donald Trump. And I'll say it again, if Donald Trump chooses to run as a third-party candidate, as much as this might hurt people to think about, um, he will give Hillary Clinton the nomination. But he signed the pledge not to run as a third-party candidate. So and they signed the pledge saying that they would that, there you go. back him up and, and you know do what they could. If uh, people supported him, that they would support him the same. So w- why now? Why at this point? Why did this happen? Why did this seemingly take Donald Trump by surprise. If this was known back in August, if this rule change was done, or if this change was done back in July and was known in August and reported in editorials in September of last year, why today is there such outrage? Well, I don't know. There's a a new poll from Gallup, a Gallup poll from today. U.S. worries about race relations reach a new high. 35% of Americans are worried a great deal about race relations number has more than doubled in the past two years. Race relations still rank low among issues causing worry. More than a third of Americans now say they are worried a great deal about race relations in the U.S., which is higher than at any time since Gallup first asked the question in 2001. Okay, and, and that's exactly a, a huge part of this, Joe. Go on. They say that concern about race relations in the U.S. has risen during an 18-month period marked by a series of Deaths of unarmed blacks at the hands of police officers. These deaths sparked major, sometimes violent protests and fueled nationwide 
rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Concern about race relations over the past few years has increased among Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, blacks and whites. The gap between the groups who were already most worried before 2015, Democrats, liberals and blacks, and those less worried has not shrunk, in some cases has widened, particularly to note is 53 to 27% worried gap between black and whites up from 31 to 14% between black and whites in the 2012-2014 combined polls. All right. Now, now folks, I want you to listen to some numbers here. Because knowing now, knowing what you know, knowing that there is divisiveness and divide that's being uh, sprinkled all throughout the political parties, especially the conservative slash Republican slash whatever, conservative Republican, whatever. That's, that is the target. Now, that's political division, but what, what Joe just, what you just mentioned here, consider this. In, now, what I'm about to say is based on 2012 FBI crime statistics and also can be backed up in 2010 U.S. Census figures. Now, please, folks, understand I'm giving you these figures not, I'm not, this is not racially motivated. These are just facts from 2012 FBI crime statistics. Black American, consider this, black Americans make up 12.61% of the United States population. So, black Americans, I'll, I'll just say 13% of, of the U.S. population. Think now, now, consider these numbers carefully. That 12 or 12.61 or 13%, round it up, commit 32.5% of all rapes. So a third of all rapes are done by 12.61% of the population. 34.1% of all assaults. 54.9% of all robberies. And 49.9% or 50% of all murders. To say it another way, half of all murders are done by less than 13% of the, the U.S. population. The blacks. Horrifically, 91% of murdered blacks are killed by other blacks. That's black on black crime. There's a problem here. Now, this is not meant to be racist. These are, I'm just parroting facts from the 2012 FBI crime statistics. And you might say, well, who cares? What does that matter? Because in order to fuel the racial division, they, the globalists know that there's a disproportionate number of black Americans who are committing the disproportionate, not disproportionate number of crimes. So they will use that just as they use the Islamic component and weaponize that violence. All right? I'm not... I mean, that's just the way it is. So you've got the political disunity and chaos. Now you've got the racial... You've got this racial component, just of black Americans now, 
without the without the immigrants from Mexico and other than Mexicans who are going to be added into this mix. But consider the violence that is that really is is problematic within these numbers. So if you were somebody that were going to if you were going to create divisiveness or or to take to exacerbate divisiveness would you turn to a more stable segment of, of society no you would exploit those people who you who you've been exploiting consistently and that's the black population i look at the black population too as victims just as much as anything else in this case because they have been used as political weapons. And that's just my two cents. And I'm not saying that to mitigate accusations of racism. I'm saying that just simply, just historically, how have we exploited black Americans in this country? We've done it. We've done a horrendous job, treated them horrendously. But that doesn't excuse, it explains, but does not excuse those numbers. So that, that, that's how this is going to figure into the divide. And so, so what's the end game? To, to, to shine the light on the end game? We are going to see not just political disunity, but disruption to the point where there will be violence in the streets. However, because the average conservative Republican doesn't take to the streets like a 1968 Chicago-style Remember that at the DNC in Chicago, 1968? Because Republicans are not predisposed to that, they need to inject the racial component into this, and they will use that and, and use the not just the racial, but the um, alien um, aspect and the illegal alien aspect and also the divide among the haves and have-nots into the mix in order to subjugate or in order to cause chaos and to subjugate us to the equivalent of an emergency police lockdown and a potential suspension of the elections. And if you want to go one one step further, perhaps UN intervention because of election irregularities. Now think about that for a moment. And violence. Could it happen? Well, how many people say that we're we're a banana republic, a third world republic? We are, or third world country. It's by design. So, but but meanwhile, people are looking at Colorado as just like a oh that you know, just a one off, or you know, it's hey, he uh, Trump should have paid attention to the rules. Well, yeah. So what? They changed the rules. And he should have paid attention to the rules just because, and, and, and people are saying Cruz outsmarted Trump. AP has a story today. Candidates with the muscle could alter GOP convention rules. With the Republican nominating convention less than 100 days away, the GOP presidential candidate isn't the only thing still up for grabs. Also in play, the rules by which the nominee will be chosen. And that's, um, folks, you know, watching the truth. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but, Watching this on YouTube, take a look at your YouTube screen. Take a good hard look at that. What does that tell you? That picture? 
Carl Rove, Rupert Murdoch, and Valerie Jarrett. Jeb Bush. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> what am I looking at? Hey, hey, man. Wait a minute. What's uh, the title of that picture? Eric the Tech is now looking. I think I might have made a mistake on that. Well, he's looking for the title. Um, this article from the AP says, Cleveland, we've got a problem. This year, there may not be a presumptive nominee at the convention as it begins. It is possible that this will be the GOP's first competitive convention since 1976 with no candidate controlling the majority of delegates. Candidate campaigns would compete for support for rule advantages to them with behind-the-scenes bargaining rampant. Trump and Cruz could have enough delegates combined to back rules, making it virtually impossible for a third rival to emerge. On the other hand, Republicans looking to block the two leaders could seek support for rules, making it easier for a savior-like House Speaker Paul Ryan, who voiced disinterest, to gallop in becoming the nominee. The golden rule of conventions is he who has the votes makes the rules, said a GOP operative John Yob author of a book entitled Chaos, The Outsider's Guide to a Contested Republican National Convention, 2016. Have you you noticed, as you look at that picture, consider if you do any, any internet surfing at all, have you noticed on internet websites, on survival websites or forums, for example, on the Republican side, and I say Republican, not conservative, on the Republican side, like Free Republic, on the Democratic side, like Democratic Underground, on survivalist forums, and other, on other, uh, websites, like Red State. Have you noticed that there are individuals who are planting the seeds of divisiveness? in the midst of this uniparty. Why would they do that? If if there's nothing else you take away from tonight's program, please understand, not that you're, we're not telling you anything that you don't know, that you're being gamed. But please understand, who is gaming you? How big this game is? And what the stakes are. Because I do believe that in the fall of this year, and as a result of what happens in Cleveland, or shortly thereafter, we are going to see, and I hope I'm wrong, but we're going to see orchestrated chaos and disruptions. Today, Rush Limbaugh said, Now, there's something else about these delegate fights that have taken place over the weekend where Cruz has just uh, skunked Trump. It isn't even a contest. It is fascinating to watch, and of course, the Trump people think that games are being played and tricks are being pulled. But that is not happening. That's just somebody who understands the system using it. You know, we could go into a little discussion, if you want, about insider versus outsider, and I've tried to tell people these insiders are not just going to let this stuff go, folks. They're not just going to sit idly by and let you take it away from them. Well, I'll say this in regards to Rush Limbaugh's comment. He could be right, but what about Ron Paul's run? 
where he had the grassroots delegate majority that was taken away from him when he was doing exactly what Ted Cruz is trying to do. Not trying to do what he did, and it continues to try to, to do as well. But but he already has done that in Colorado. And the reason that people should wake up to Colorado is because it it's open in other states as well. Not not to the extent of Colorado, but uh, through delegates and games like that. Change of rules. Now, don't forget we have the RNC rule book, which again is available online, but you've got rule 40A and you've got rule 40B. And how many, t- how many times have people heard, uh, what about rule 40B? And what about rule, you know, could, could there be a game changer? Could rule 40B be a game changer? Have you heard about that, folks? Do we care? Do we need to know what that is? Um, well, you know what? It's, it's really, uh, that was written for Romney by the globalists, by the insiders in the event of a contested Republican convention. Rule 40B. It's in the rule book. I can't, I don't, can't remember which page it's on. I don't have the uh, rule book in front of me. But what is rule 40B? It's, it, 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 Mandates eligibility for the nomination based on how many states a candidate has won. And now this could be the key to Trump's nomination, or it could be actually the, well, if removed, it it could very well spell the doom for Trump. So we have to watch what the establishment Republicans are doing with respect to Rule 40B. It's a, it's kind of a new addition to the Republican rule book. It was aimed at protecting a potential candidate who was Mitt Romney during this year's bid. So it was kind of, they were looking ahead saying, well, what if Romney is the 2016 candidate? The rules that, um, the Republican lawyer Ginsburg pushed through the rules committee and were adopted at the 2012 convention were done so to protect Romney in the event he ran in 2016. See, the reason this all, the whole thing is important, the reason you need to know this is so we can debate or we can convince or talk with the other intellectual people who are awake and we have enough actual factual ammunition and we don't react to their accusations or assertions, we respond to them. Okay, that's what this is all about. And how are we going to convince others among us that we're, that we're being, that we're, that we're being laughed at, that we're captured, that this is a captured operation. America has been captured from within. How are we going to convince them that we're not some conspiracy kook if we cannot debate, talk about the facts. This isn't conspiracy. This is all fact. Back to Rule 40B, instead of having to, just having to win five states, like 2012, if Rule 40B is allowed to stand at the revamping at this convention, um, a candidate must win eight states before they can enter their name for nomination. That's what Rule 40 
B is. And if I can cut in here just to close Please. with what Rush Limbaugh said, he says if Trump does not get the 1237 uh, delegates before the convention, it may be over the way this is going because Cruz is sewing up his delegates on the second ballot. But my humble belief is that if and after the powers that be dispatch Trump, they will then seek to dispatch Cruz. Over mm-hmm. there is Paul Ryan's running campaign for something, and everybody's <laughs> marveling at it. And, and uh, one would be wise to listen to what Rush Limbaugh is saying, because he's an insider. He's a globalist himself. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's not like all of this is happening in a vacuum. Rush Limbaugh certainly knows what's taking place, or at least knows as much as his compartmentalization will allow. If you don't think he's bought off, bought and paid for, I mean, I understand what he started, how he started out, what he started out as, but but you also have to understand too, at, at, at his level, <laughs> he's not worried about paying his bills. No. And on the other side of the aisle here, Michael Savage from this from Roman Daily calling the Colorado Republican Party decision not to hold the primary vote a scandal. Talk radio host Michael Savage declared Senator Ted Cruz should disavow the move and call for a vote. What has just happened in Colorado should frankly disqualify Cruz, who claims to be a constitutional conservative, (laughs) Savage told his listeners Monday. Savage is a strong supporter of GOP frontrunner Donald Trump, who has been a regular guest on the Savage Nation. Savage is not wrong. Yeah, he goes on to say, I told you we don't have a democracy. It's how I rose to fame in the radio business. I position as... I have been all my life as the total cynic, he said. This is a corrupt, rotten system. It's a one-party system, a demagogue. There is no two-party system. They are the ones who selected Obama. They are the ones who are going to select Hillary. Make no mistake about it. And going back to what George Washington said, he condemned the the, the more than one-party system for the reasons of, of that we're seeing in Colorado. And for the reasons we're seeing with the manipulation of delegates. However, since we have a two-party system, or more than a two-party, I shouldn't say just a two-party system, we have multiple parties, there are rules that should be adhered to, and of course that we're not, they're using the rules for the different parties to, um, to take away our freedom of choice in this election. So, I guess there's no other way to say it. But, but you know, it's interesting, again, the um, when, you, when you discover the landscape and get a feel for the public perception of what's, what's going on, you've got on one side saying, well, the rules only count for Trump when they work to his advantage, and Trump should have known, and, and this shows that Cruz is much more of a statesman, and, uh, you know, Cruz... Um, uh, um, you took advantage of the rules that were in place and so on and so forth, okay? You're seeing it really more than the topic itself, more than the, the situation in Colorado itself. What you're seeing, folks, is the takedown or the, the seeds of disharmony, distrust, and um, destruction being planted within the, the, within the, within the ranks of the conservatives. And we're watching the conservatives really have a fit, rightfully so, over what they're seeing. 
with respect to the behaviors and machinations of the general establishment Republicans who are nothing more than the minions of the globalists. So the question now is what happens if Trump is defeated? What happens if, if, um, Cruz is, you know, what happens? And you quoted Rush Limbaugh, um, did you quote from his, the, the transcript about, uh, I don't know, if, I, if I, I quoted if I, from over, the first part of the first, the second half of the first paragraph and, okay. It was from his site. Yeah, I, uh, okay. If I overlap, don't, I mean, just, okay. Everyone just don't worry about it. Because, um, he, he said, it doesn't matter whether I think Cruz is cheating or not. Did, did you, did you, I, I can't remember if that was part of your, yeah, he said, okay, he's not some cheating. of you do think that. Um. Um. I, again, I don't want to be repetitive here. At the end of this, if, if Trump doesn't get the nomination after all this, then what's next? Now, Pat Buchanan has written that he thinks it doesn't matter because Trump has ignited a new nationalistic populist movement, which will not be denied. And that if they don't get there this year, that movement has now found out how powerful it is and how many people are in it. That certain polling uh, census that they are majority, a number of people oppose immigration, want a wall, and so on. I'm not going to, you know, uh, continue, but but the bottom line here is um, uh, Limbaugh believes or is trying to uh, to promote or assert that ultimately this is good for everyone. And I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree. After reading this, uh, his transcript from his show today. I wholeheartedly disagree because I don't believe that we are going to have a republic left, a country left after this election. And I'm not even so sure, um, despite, it doesn't matter who gets in, including Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is just merely one man. And the other religious, spiritual, I shouldn't say religious, but the spiritual component of this too, is we are a country. The majority of us are Christians. But have we not shown our hubris to God and in and, and, and our thumbing our nose at, at, at God by not repenting and instead by saying we're going to make America great again? Well, how do you do that? Yeah, sure, certainly you can you can deport the the illegal immigrants in this country. You can do that. You can you can fix a lot of wrongs. But at the heart of it all, it's a spiritual problem, not a political problem. And you know what Steve Quayle has always said, you cannot fix spiritual problems with political solutions. So at the heart of all of this, it's really the Christians who need to get together, not only expose the nefarious doings of the establishment, but also to urge those people to not not have the not embrace the hubris of making America great again, although that that would be nice. But but you know how do you do it? You've got to do it through repentance and through closing down the the uh, abor- or the uh, the uh, abortion mills. You've got to uh, you, you've got to bring back traditional marriage. Yet I have not heard any candidate really take a good hard stance on, on, on abortion or or sodomite marriages. 
nor have I heard any candidates say, well, if I'm elected, I'm going to shut down the, the Planned Parenthood and the abortion facilities. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard them say with authority that they would use their executive authority. They would enforce the Constitution, the precepts of the Constitution, the laws of the Constitution. I haven't heard them say that. And because it's morally and biblically right. Correct. The other thing I want to mention real quick, and then we can move on. If you don't think for one moment that um, you talk about some pulp fiction, the Boston Globe, did you see the headline with Trump this weekend about uh, from the Boston Globe? I, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, the Boston Globe this weekend published this headline. And, and think about this in, in the context of history. Has this ever happened before? It has a date in the future. It had a date in the future, the Boston Globe. Had I thought about this, I would have have given Eric a picture to put up. Had Trump on on the front page. Boston Globe, Trump front page. After the election, Trump is president. After the inauguration, Trump is president. In the Boston Globe satirical piece, Deportations to begin as a headline, or something similar. Let, let me just let me just make sure uh, of the headline. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. All right. So Boston Globe deportations to begin um, in the news. I guess I, I guess what we're seeing here in this case is more than reporting. Thanks, Eric. It's up, folks, for watching on YouTube. It's up there on YouTube. Take a look at that. Take a really good, hard look at that. And think about what we have talked about, about the Tavistock Institute. about their, and, and think about what Joe, his research and our research, collective and individual research about the six corporations who or five corporations or however many who own all of the media. Think about the message that that is giving, whether, I mean, it's obvious it's in your face. I was going to say subliminal. Uh, the subliminal aspect of this is was programming, mental programming. Yeah, President Trump calls for tripling of ICE force. Riot continue, riots continue. On the left, it says curfews extended in multiple cities. They're not even trying to hide this anymore. No. They're not trying to hide this anymore. They're not trying to hide what they are doing to us. And every one of us, well, not maybe present company to this program, excluded we are falling for this. We're falling into this, well, <laughs> we're being roped into fighting and, and making it so that the fighting is our idea. But what choice do we really have? When it's all said and done, what choice do we have? The choice is how we fight. And again, I don't believe for one moment that um, I believe that the conservative I believe that, that the political and social conservatives of this country can be pushed pretty doggone far before they do anything whatsoever reactionary 
I believe that there will be a response, but not necessarily a sharp reaction. Please understand the difference. But what you're seeing on the, on your screen, the Boston Globe deportations to begin with Trump as president post inauguration, calling or, or, or reporting on riots and markets sink as trade war looms. That should prove that the Boston Globe should prove everything we've been talking about about the pre-programming Tavistockian model. We're coming up at the top of the hour, folks. But uh, please understand what we're what we're seeing. Please understand we're being manipulated, gamed into reaction, problem, reaction, solution. They're creating the problem. They're creating, causing the reaction, and they will have the solution. The solution will be, at some point, complete subjugation of global power because America will cease to exist as it has existed. It's all to go back to Nimrod or to the Tower of Babel. It's all the Tower of Babel, Nimrod 2.0, Tower of Babel 2.0, under the United Nations. You know, we've forgotten God. But we also have to ask the question, Erwin Lutzer has written two books, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. And another book he wrote is, is God on America's side? The surprising answer and how it affects our future. We can say all the time that we that we're that we're on God's side. We can say that we believe in God. We can say that, oh my goodness, we're on, we're on God's side. We can we can say that all day long. But can we say honestly that God is on our side? Especially when a nation's sins accumulate. When we speak of God judging a nation, we we simply mean that the natural consequences of the sin of a nation accumulate and are, are intensified. You know, all sin has both immediate and long-term consequences. We as Christians are judged for our sin Ezekiel eighteen twenty. With and, that, and I just want to say this: God does intensify regular judgments to get the intention of an entire nation, and He will do so. We'll be right back with our third and final hour on this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're talking about the uh, Colorado non-primary, the presidential election on the Republican side, and much more. Stay with us for our third and final hour on Global Star Radio Network and YouTube Blog Talk Radio. Right after this. people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers 
denials and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Back to this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you uh, in our third and final hour. We were talking about the uh, primaries, what happened in Colorado, especially on the GOP side in the first two hours, breaking down the, uh, I guess what you call the precursors to the run-up to this uh, Colorado swindle. And, and civil war and the fallout from thereafter. Yeah, I want to make a quick mention. Keep your eye out for a new CD coming out by Joe Charles called New Jerusalem. I know I said that kind of screwed up. New Jerusalem, the new CD being released by Joe Charles. There you go. Coming out soon. Yeah, and uh, we, we're getting a couple of emails saying, well, how can I get it? His website doesn't have um, an email address. He's working on that. So just hang in there. We will make an announcement when that happens. That was kind of one of the things that I wanted to mention earlier, or wanted to mention. And thank you so much for your patience. I know that he's very excited about it. It's just tremendous. He does such a tremendous job. And uh, that's Joe Charles. He does our intros. And he's just a tremendous, um, wonderfully talented guy, I'm telling you. Now, um, the homework assignment for listeners out there. Actually, this is a clarion call for assistance. Long, about two years ago, I think it was, maybe a year and a half, 18 months ago, we had uh, uh, a public figure or a woman in the public eye, uh, Mia Pope, Mia Marie Pope, right? Remember her? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to violate any any of any privacy. So I, I I have not you know gone looking for her. I lost her con. We lost her contact information in a uh, uh, in a hard drive um, issue some time ago. So if anyone knows her, if you can get word to her that uh, if, if she wouldn't mind, if you could just have her send me an email, studio at hagmanandhagman.com. need to talk to her. I'd like to talk to her. That's me and Marie Pope, P-O-P-E, as in, you know, Pope. So that's one thing. And let me, uh, a couple other things here. Hang on a minute. Let me get to it. American Survival Wholesale website. Um, it, it might be having some technical issues. It's AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Regardless, just understand, um, they've got some wonderful, great products there. We need to, to get geared up and prepped up for what's coming. And I do think the sooner the better. 
um, please, please do not leave. If you're the guy, if you're if you're the head of the house, please make sure that, to the best of your financial ability, that you're equipped, prepared. And um, I just want to make that um, known. Okay. The other issues, real quick here. Um, okay. Well, yeah, one more announcement. Two more announcements here. The, no, the number of books I have left here at the office were Stained by Blood from the first first printing. I think maybe 20. So if you want a signed copy, personalized copy, just go to standbyblood.com and send me an email. Or it's available on Amazon, now available on Kindle. So it's up to you. And if you've read it and, and you, you want to, and I know I've gotten, gotten emails about it to my, uh, to my email address, feel free to, to if you want to share your thoughts on Amazon, honest reviews are always appreciated. And let me see. Um, that's it. I, I just want to make sure. I was going through a list list of housekeeping items. That was all of it. Um, Joe, we've got uh, arches. What's up with those? We've got economic news. In addition to everything else about the polit- political side, we've got so much going on. Let's Baltic Dry here. Index. I just want to give a shout-out to Baltic Dry Index, our resident expert on that, uh, Larry M. from Santa Clarita. BDI continues to move up by leaps and bounds. Today, another 16-point increase to close at, ready for this, 555. Five, five. So there you go. All right. Uh, this and other news, the IRS is being sued for refusing to release secret church investigations procedures. Agency reached agreement with atheist groups in 2014. Uh, again, this is from the Washington Times. Government watchdog groups have filed a motion in federal court to compel the IRS to reveal how it determines when to initiate church investigations after accusing the tax collecting agency of stonewalling efforts to bring to light its uh, procedures. The motion filed jo- jointly Friday by the Alliance Defending Freedom and Judicial Watch came in response to a legal settlement struck in 2014 with an atheist organization (laughs) which said the IRS had resolved the signature authority issue with necessary to initiate church examinations. The IRS also adopted procedures for reviewing, evaluating, and determining whether to initiate church investigations, the Freedom From Religion Foundation said in a press release. Now, that's Mickey Weinstein. Uh-huh, but nobody uh-huh. knows what those procedures are for conducting church investigations, the watchdog group said. There you go. The IRS is not above the law, and the Americans deserve to know the truth about the agency's secret deals with activists. ADF legal counsel Christina Holcomb said in a press release, The IRS has a legal obligation to explain why it is hiding things or else produce documents. Its ongoing refusal to follow the law is absurd, particularly since much of what we are asking for is information that the IRS has already provided voluntarily to the Freedom From Religious Foundation. And so, it goes on from there, there. there you go. And here again is judgment upon our nation in my view. We are allowing this as Christians to continue, allowing these um, 
this this assault on Christianity, this assault on Christian values, yeah. on Judeo-Christian values. This is this is why we are suffering. I think, I believe the way we are, and I believe that this election will not be, um, will 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 continue to render judgment on this nation because of our our lack of or because of our continued hubris in the face of our sins. It goes on to say the IRS cannot be reached for comment by the press at this time, but in 2014, a lawsuit, the atheist group demanded that the IRS enforce the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits tax-exempt organizations from making political endorsements for elected office. It authorizes the IRS to regulate sermons and other speech to ensure church comply with the provisions of their designations. Legal scholars have speculated that the tax-exempt status of churches and other religious groups may be vulnerable in light of Supreme Court ruling, um, right. which struck down state laws in banning same-sex marriage. This is the, the Obergefell versus the Hodges. Obergefell, yep. And uh, that was on June 26th. Mm-hmm. We were at the Supreme Court with Dave Hodges and others, met, um, met a, a few people there, listeners. <sighs> Given the IRS alleged targeting of conservatives and Tea Party groups, some members of Congress has expressed concern about church investigations. A 2014 letter to IRS commissioner signed by nine members of Congress asked the agency to provide a copy of the rules for investigating churches. Our country has a long history of religious leaders speaking freely on a matter of public discourse, the letter reads. Whether it is Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. leading the charge against segregation or preachers opposed to the Vietnam War, Americans expect their religious leaders to be able to speak freely to their flock without government oversight. The recent agreement by the IRS seems to impinge on these fundamental rights protected by the First Amendment's guarantee of freedom of religion, speech, and assembly. Interesting. It goes on from there. But the IRS, uh, even after being sued, not releasing the... uh, how they conduct church investigations uh, in other news. They don't have to tell. Apparently. No, I mean, I mean no, they see, do. They, well, they, they do, do, but they... <laughs> but they're not. But they're not. And they're not being held accountable. Right. Just like Hillary Clinton in the email scandals, not right. being held accountable. Over the weekend and in the end of last week, she did some interviews where uh, both in, in the public eye uh, with uh, on the debate and some, I think it was an interview with Matt Lauer, where she laughed mockingly out right. loud when asked about the potential for charges, indictments, or jail time. I mean, she just outright laughed oh, in his face. She said, said, I'll never. Yeah, right. right. What'd she say? I'll, I'll never? Yeah, th- that'll never come to, I mean, that'll never come to pass. Even the indictment, let alone the uh, the fact that she may face charges or have to defend herself in a, in a criminal uh, trial. But she said, you know, the indictment will never come, basically laughing as she said it. Mm. And, uh, you know, she continues to walk around, uh, knowingly, openly, and publicly broke the law. What General Petraeus got, uh, felony charges and probation for. She's committed worse crimes, knowingly and publicly, and is still yet to be held accountable. Well, the FBI doesn't seem to be moving too fast on their investigation, and, did you- nor do I see any uh, real closure of this anytime in the future. I, I, I've got a question. In fact, even Eric can chime in on this. Uh, and, and folks, think about this. What was the public, and, and I, I've got a reason for asking this, the 
cause of death for Chris Stevens in Benghazi. What was the cause of death of Chris Stevens in Benghazi, publicly announced? I don't remember the public announcement. Do, do you know? All right. Um, I'm going to... Well, let me see if I can do this. I know we're on a delay, so um, I'm going to go to the chat room here on YouTube. Um, let me see if I can pull this up, YouTube chat room here. I'm going to see if, if, if folks... Since we seriously we don't have a studio audience, um, and we don't have any way really I can I can ask this, um, well, I, I want to know if you know or <laughs> it's, yeah I'm freezing. I'm, <laughs> I've had sorry. to shut down the browser like four times since yeah. the show started. But I, I'm kind of curious as to what as to what the um, what the public has been told the cause of death of of Chris Stevens. Well, it would have to be. Um, I mean, obviously, murder. murder. Right. Yeah. right. I get that. But, um, okay. Well, I, I guess I don't really need input. Um, I happen to see a letter of a family member of Chris Stevens. I'm not going to violate any confidences here because I just don't, I, I can't do this. But the torture, the, he was murdered. And um, initially it came out where Hillary Clinton said that the cause of death was from smoke inhalation. Yeah, and I believe yeah. that was um, reiterated by Obama and others in the in the media. But but he was tortured, he was tortured, and it was to the extent. I mean, he was sodomized, mm-hmm. and he, he was mutilated, and it was a torturous death. But this was being kept by the uh, from the public. Okay, so I just want to let you know that I cannot I cannot get on the, my own channel. So sorry about that. But anyway. Um, the reason I bring this up in in the in the context of the Hillary Clinton emails is the emails that have been released, and not all of them have been released or exposed. The ones about Benghazi, Benghazi have been either kept from being released or heavily redacted. Okay, just so everyone knows that it's not as if there's a pot of of evidence consisting of emails out there about Benghazi. Um. No, that, that doesn't, you know, pe- people may, may say, well, we can subpoena or we can get a Freedom of Information Act request in there. You're not going to find anything in those emails about Benghazi and about that cause of death. And it's interesting because the two individuals out of, there were four people at the compound, Chris Stevens and three others. One was one of the three, um, NGO working for the, uh, um, uh, um, well, part of the security responding for security was killed off pretty quickly. So there were two. There were two Americans who were fighting off this two waves of attack, and, and they they were responsible for a minimum of sixty deaths on the side of the attackers. So they took out sixty of the enemy in, in on the ground in Benghazi. Mm-hmm. That enraged the Muslim terrorists in Benghazi. It absolutely enraged them. They couldn't believe that these two guys held off that attack and killed 60 of their comrades. And I just want to, so they, they were also, they also suffered some pretty severe fate. A severe fate. This was not a pretty, this was not a clean kill. This was a very ugly thing that happened. 
And all of this has been left out of the Hillary Clinton emails, just so you know. So, and, and you know, you will not you will not hear this from any any um, media outlet. But it's important to understand because Benghazi, what that was about, and the calls for security. Yes, it, there were calls for security, but it really was not for the Benghazi compound. They really did not want security at the Benghazi compound because they were operating in, under the under the cover of darkness and under the veil to ship weapons, not only from Libya but other countries into Turkey and other locations to fight, to destabilize the Assad regime in Syria. And, of course, they were going by proxy, head-to-head, the CIA, the criminal cabal of the CIA, Hillary Clinton's CIA, I should say. They were going by proxy, head-to-head with the Russians. So this, at the end of the day, this is Russia versus America in, in Libya. This is what happened. And you'll never, you're not going to see this because of those communications between Clinton and Blumenthal pre- and post-Benghazi are have been expunged. But the important part of this is the Gang of Eight, Republicans and Democrats, knew what was going on. And this is why Clinton will never be brought to justice, brought to, I don't believe, for one moment. And if even, even in the unlikely event, she will be pardoned and never see the inside of a courtroom. So, there you have it. Moving on to financial news. This was from four days ago. Then we're going to move on from something from today. Uh, globalist ban on $100 bill next step to cashless society. Yep. Harvard economist Larry Summers says it's time to go after big money. He wants, and he wants to start by banning the $100 bill. But critics say he and other global elitists may be or have may have an ulterior motive for such a move. The former U.S. Treasury Secretary and Chief Economist of the World Bank recently penned an op-ed in the Washington Post calling for the removing of the $500 euro and $100 bill from circulation. He's been writing forcefully about that for the past six months, said Patrick Wood, an economist and expert on the Trilateral Commission, Technocracy, and Global Governance. Summers is a member of the elitist Trilateral Commission co-founded in 73 by David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski and has operated at the highest echelons of global influence. The argument began parlayed by global elites that the high-denomination bills are often used by crime syndicates and terror cells. Boy, Summers roll up argue- that bill to snort some powder there, snort some blow. Huh? Summers argues, in certain circles, the $500 euro note is known as the bin Laden, and it is why it should no longer be printed. A memorandum on printing new high-denomination notes would make the world a better place in terms of unilateral steps. The most important actor by far is the European Union. The $500 euro is almost six times as valuable as the $100 bill, Summers writes. But Patrick Wood, an Arizona-based economist, says eliminating the $100 bill has little to do with fighting terrorism or crime and everything to do with continuing to chip away at the availability of cash. And he's right. He goes on to say there's a big portion of society that's not included in the banking system. They just don't have bank accounts. They operate on cash, and that's a large percentage of the developing world, even in America. A lot of people on welfare... They go around at the first of every month cashing checks. They don't have accounts, and apparently that's something that bugs the global elite, Wood said, the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan horse of the global transformation. He's a trilateral guy, and it really bugs them that anybody's still living outside the system, he said. 
J.P. Morgan Chase announced this week it would start limiting the amount of cash a non-customer can withdraw from its ATM machines to $1,000. The Wall Street Journal reported the bank run by Chairman and Chief Executive Jamie Dimon said there doesn't seem to appear to be fraud involved. But in part due to heightened regulatory scrutiny, banks are paying more attention to large cash transfers than that could be a sign of money laundering or other types of shady activity. Wood says the cashless society has long been an item on the checklist of global bankers. It's also a key element of the global technocracy that is tightening its grip on the world. Technocracy is a term more Americans should familiarize themselves with, he said. That's because it's technocracy, not communism or fascism. But technocracy is envisioned. That's a Trojan horse of the New World Order, technocracy. And Patrick Wood has written a great book about technocracy. But that is the really the Trojan horse of the... It's not, it's not, as you said, not communism, it, but communism is kind of a component of that, but it's it's technocracy. Yeah, it goes on to say, the original definition of technocracy was put forth by the Technocrat mag- magazine in 1938. While mu- much has changed since the original movement in the 1930s, the essence of the definition remains intact, Wood says. What has changed is the level of technology at the disposal of the world bankers and government technocrats. How they described it in 1938 was technocracy is the science of social engineering or the science behind the entire systems of good and services delivered to the entire population. If that's the mindset of technocracy, they have to leave no one behind. And I can see where that comes from and where it's leading. One thing is certainly true. You can't exclude someone without first giving them the opportunity to be included. Think about that. Yeah, sounds pretty biblical. And, and think think about this, folks. In the context of, in the context of, the favoritism and the graft and the all, all of this, remember this one adage, if you will. Someone promises you something. Anything that someone can do for you, they can do to you. Mm-hmm. Think about that. You were talking about the economy, Joe. Uh, some interesting numbers coming out. 40% of all Americans now spend more than half of their incomes just on food and housing. So we'll just go with this. Just just less than half of all Americans go. Uh, will you? I'm one of those. <laughs> really? I, I mean, you think about that. On food and housing, about 40% spend... More than 50% of their incomes just on food and housing. Okay, maybe not 50%, but very close to it. Right. And I think we're all in that position. Every one of us almost, you know? For, for Americans who housing don't. Housing is 30% easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then food. If you add food and energy, that's yeah. at least 50%. But, but see, when John Reagan was on, um, and he wrote a, a good book about, about the economy and about numbers and such, uh, John Reagan, R-A-G-A-N, um, when he was on our program, he, he talked about this as well and about how the numbers are, are skewed. And of course we know that, but, um, for, for people who don't own a, own a house in, in this country, 50% spend more than a third of their incomes just on rent. So more than half, half of, uh, uh, renters spend a third of their income on rent. And think about that. Oh. Now, the price of school lunches risen to the $3 mark. McDonald's dollar menu and more. 
Have you seen that recently? Some some of the items are more than five bucks on their dollar menu. And, and the price of ground beef, which has always been an indicator. If you want to know about food, like the cost of food, ground beef is a good indicator. Although some might argue that's regional, and I suppose it could be considered regional, but on 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 par, ground beef is a good indicator of of food expenses. So think about this: the price of ground beef has doubled since two thousand and nine. Did you hear us say the price, price, price of ground, ground beef, beef has doubled, doubled since two thousand and nine? All right. So what that what that's telling me right now is that we have a situation where these are precursors to both uh, food shortages, which will come, it will arise, as supply disruptions, but also there's gonna, there, there may be a point where there's a lot of food, but nobody can afford to, to buy it at the prices soon. Okay, and, and this is part of the inflation or part of the takedown of, of our country. Please understand this. This is not this is not inflation as a passive type of an event that happens because of mismanagement. This is the takedown of our economy. And remember the, the, the really the three pillars of, of any nation, the money supply, the culture and and the borders, language borders and and, and money supply, I guess, or money currency, national currency. But this is part of the assault on the on the middle class. Michael, um, who wrote this? Uh, Michael Snyder, Snyder Economic Collapse Blog. It gets into other statistics, but those you should know. And yet, Obama and others will come up and say, "Hey, the economy's never been better." Or, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we, you know, it's been slow. But so this is what we need to know. And I think this is something you want to get into as well. I, I don't know. Um, soon we're going to see n- negative interest rates in this country, and if not, well, yeah, the IMF supports move to negative interest yeah. rates by some central banks. The International Monetary Fund said on Sunday that a move to negative rates by some of the world's central banks would help deliver extra monetary stimulus and easing lending conditions. Six of the world's central banks have introduced negative rates, most notably the Bank of Japan the European Central Bank, and around a quarter of the world economy by output is now experiencing official rates that are less than zero. They have achieved this by cutting deposit rates into negative territory, ranging from minus 5 basis points in Hungary to minus 125 basis points in Sweden, essentially a tax on deposits. Although the experience with negative normal rates, interest rates, is limited, we tentatively conclude that overall they help deliver additional monetary stimulus and easier financial conditions to support demand and price stability. The IMF Financial Counselor and Director of Monetary Capital Markets, Jose Vinols, wrote in a research paper. Well, yeah, they support additional monetary stimulus and easier financial conditions for banks and these financial institutions who are taking a tax on people's deposits, but what about the people who are paying to make deposits? It makes no sense. 
The IMF goes on to say that they have evidence so far it showed how negative rates had encouraged investors out of low-risk government bonds and reduced borrowing costs for companies. For banks, the picture was mixed, but it said that in most cases, lending rates had fallen since the introduction of negative rates by central banks, despite a squeeze on interest net, on net interest margins. margins. The fund warned, however, that there were limits to the effectiveness of negative rates. If they remain negative for too long, cash settlement will rise, effectively undermining the policy. It estimates that the tipping point for a move into cash would come between 75 and 200 basis points. Long-term, negative rates could undermine the viability of life insurers, pensions, and savings, the fund warned. They might also encourage excessive risk-taking and build the financial market bubbles. I guess they wanted to say building financial market bubbles. But this is not the only uh, economic news. The World Bank uh, lending, let's see, oh, I reached my limit. <laughs> isn't that, uh, isn't that maddening? I read this twice today. Isn't that maddening? I read this twice well, today. That, that's, uh, I knew I should have copied it. You've got, uh, folks, you've got websites out there. I think the Washington Post might be, I, I can't remember. There's like, several websites that you're only allowed so many free articles and bam, right. then you got to subscribe. Folks, if you go to Financial Times and you haven't been yeah. there yet today, World Lending at record since aftermath of financial crisis. That from the Financial Times. That's the headline. One, moving away from and the... Oh, go ahead. We have uh, uh, two pieces of information from the military, and I don't know if you want to hear well, what you got Let first. me just slip this in here, because this kind of goes back to what we were talking about the first two hours. Um, we have a copy of the, the Inquirer. And, and folks who are watching this the on Economist. YouTube... No, the Inquirer. The Inqu- oh, okay. The National Inquirer. It's about uh, Roger Stone. I, I sent it. I think it was a, the newspaper. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Um, you're hearing a lot, and this is a tactic. And, and I, I want you. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up. There's a. There's a couple of reasons why I'm bringing this up. Donald Trump had at one time employed, and you've heard. You've heard of. Um, you've heard this many, many times. Um, Roger Stone, okay. Um, have you not? Um, well, uh, all right, there we go. Okay, if you're watching this on YouTube, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we don't want to put any porn on the screen, but if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you can see where there is this this inquirer picture for, or inquirer two page spread from uh i think it was um nineteen ninety two it was during the right after the um when when did bob dole run for ninety two uh, i i i don't remember okay well anyway here here's why i'm bringing this up eighty eight ninety two uh, boy my notes here you, th- you think I could do this? I mean, you think I could? You, you think I? Well, yeah, we don't. We don't spend any time preparing for these shows, really. We don't. Hang on a second. Okay, Roger okay. Stone, uh, a, a friend of mine, actually, Jack Thompson. He's an attorney out of Miami, Florida. Now, those people who uh, might have heard heard me back on uh, Pat Campbell's show and. Other programs. Jack Thompson is an attorney out of Miami, Florida. He, he wrote a book about the violence 
the real world, world violence in video games. Okay. And, uh, as a matter of fact, I had done some research on his behalf for that book. All right. Roger Stone is, has been associated with Donald Trump. And he's now called, being called Trump's surrogate. All right. You'll see him on, in fact, he was on InfoWars. He was on various other, he's on numerous. Yeah, I saw a story about that, the surrogate. I think that was on InfoWars. And, um, there was some new information about. Well, yeah, Jack Thompson's calling for him to be charged in Cuyahoga County, Ohio with menacing. Okay, GOP convention delegates. I don't, I, I do not, I do not. Jack, if you're listening, what are you thinking? Seriously. Really, Jack, what are you thinking, buddy? In fact, I want to give him a call. I was going to give him a call and have him come on and, and you know, have a go with him. Um, he, he's been on 60 Minutes and, and about his, about the real world violence, um, and video games like Grand Theft Auto. But, but he wrote a letter to Prosecutor Timothy McGinty out of Cuyahoga County saying that Stone may have violated or might have violated Ohio laws against menacing and aggravated menacing by, by saying, hey, um, everybody, uh, pay, you know, the, the, go to the, um, delegates hotel rooms or, you know, get their information about where they're staying at the convention. Well, I don't believe this rises to the level of criminal menacing. I'm not an attorney. Never was one. Don't care to be one. But, Jack. Again, are we not to, obviously he doesn't like Trump, but there, there's many, many problems with this story. Number one, Roger Stone has not been Roger Stone and, and Donald Trump have not been um, on the same team or been um, the, the Stone has not worked for Trump in a number of months several months now it, it, what happened is up for debate Trump said he fired Stone Stone said he fired Trump true words I mean that's I'm not making that up but what about Roger Stone himself well when you look at the background of roger stone take a look at what's on the screen top doll eight cod in group sex ring the reason i brought this up is you're going to see more and more of this this is a weapon weaponized tactic you've got you've got i got how can i put this uh logically the, one of the quickest ways for your reputation to be taken down is to be associated with somebody who has got a really bad reputation. I know a lot of people are shaking their heads, okay, and, and affirmatively. But at this level, Roger Stone has got some extreme baggage here. There's two reasons I put this up or wanted to show this. Number one, the background of Roger Stone morally is 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 in question. The second part of this is look at the cross-pollination between parties, that being um, Dick Morris on really on the same page as Roger Stone. And when you read the article, if you would ever read the article from the um, Inquirer, you'll see the 
almost literal incestuous relationship between the, the parties. The, the the primary moving reason, my, my primary motive for putting this up here, up there, is please understand at the top levels of government, the power brokers, you are seeing this horrendous, immoral, perverse, sexual pedophilia. I mean, it, meanwhile, meanwhile, a, yes. a separate story here. The Bible makes list of books, makes list of most challenged books at libraries and public schools. They say that one of the, on the latest list of books most objected to at public schools and libraries has been targeted nationwide at times for sex and violence, the Bible. You have people who feel that if a school library buys a copy of the Bible, it's a violation of church and state, says James LaRue, who directs the Office for Intellectual Freedom for the American Library Association, which released its annual Top Ten Snapshot of Challenged Books on Monday, part of the Association State Libraries Report for 2016. And sometimes there's a retaliatory action where a religious group has objected to a book and the parent might respond by objecting to the Bible. But they go on to say that LaRue emphasizes that the Library Association does not oppose having Bibles in public schools. And he goes on to say, we see the danger of censorship moving from the school library into the English classroom. But this, you know... Well, and again... This moral... Um, there's moral turpitude at the highest levels. And there, there's, there's a salacious... This salacious, uh, uh, perverse, voyeuristic tendency by people to want the information. The reason, I, again, I, I'm putting this up there for people because this will become an issue, if not in the weeks ahead, or in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, I should say. And it's going to be on both sides. Don't forget the the pure interests of those about uh, Ted Cruz and about others. But you see, a lot of this is launched by the progressive communist luciferian globalist against the conservatives and, and and i understand that concept because the conservatives should be held to a higher standard but but rarely are the progressives brought up on these very same issues when in fact they have just as many skeletons in their closet now maybe i didn't make my point as as articulate maybe i was not as articulate as i should have been and you can go ahead and take that down and that's that's kind of sickening but the fact of the matter is these are um, these are some sick puppies at the highest level. And if you don't think that there's saint worship going on, if you don't think that there's uh, pedophilia going on, if you don't think that the Franklin scandal, the Franklin cover-up was real, that, that of course, is refer- referring to the uh, Franklin uh, Savings and Loan in Omaha, Nebraska, and that during the height of the Savings and Loan debacle, crisis, theft, many of the most powerful were involved in satanic ritual abuse of children this is happening at the highest levels of our government even today so just understand that even though that's a dated paper understand the perversion is still there and yes meanwhile in the background they're saying get rid of the bible Mm -hmm. i would prefer to see the bible and the quran and every other book mormonism book of mormon in school libraries because you need to under i mean you need that knowledge present I, 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 Joe, I'm going to tell you right now. Read the Quran. Have you read it? 
How can you how can you talk about something you haven't read? Yeah. Okay. So, um, now that does stop. I, I believe that there's like Fifty Shades of Grey. Is that is that the puke uh, sex thing? Okay. Thanks, Eric. Eric the book. tech. Yeah. Both. Oh, okay. I'm against having pornography. For the sake of having, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't have a Hustler magazine or Playboy Planet, whatever, in, in a school library. Novel form, not even a novel form, I'm just or kidding. you know, in, in any form. Okay, but but to understand, so for to, for for us, well, when did that, that start, though? I mean, I, I guess mean? I'm out of the loop. I don't see the. Well, and there's always been the call for banning of books. Um, even back in the fifties, how many people remember, remember who are listening remember the calls to ban? Um, uh, Catcher in the Rye, I believe it was. And then in the 80s, I think it was, what was it in the 80s? Um, well, they have a history here of, of challenge books from yeah. the past. They say uh, what was To the Kill a Mockingbird was once that on was the back challenge in the 50s or 60s. Um, and Harry Potter's novels. Uh, and, and I believe there's a difference between... Um, there was a book called Beloved from 1987... Yeah, it's a novel set in post Civil War era, including scenes depicting sex, rape, bestiality, has appeared occasionally on the ALA challenge book list. Yeah, uh, there was something even even more, uh, and I, I don't recall what it was, but um, oh, um, the communist, the guy that wrote uh, the communist that wrote the book, <sighs> and the uh, the top. Ten challenges to the Bible by reason: one, sexually explicit; two, offensive language; three, other objection; four, unsuited for age group; five, violence; six, homosexuality; seven, religious viewpoint; eight, Satanism; nine, nudity; and the last, drugs and alcohol. Okay. Well. I don't know. You, you know, it, it's it's again I, it, this Orwellian this tactics. Two thousand and two thousand nine. Those numbers, right? But you've got the Orwellian tactics in order to, um, in order to limit our ability, limit the, our children's ability, limit our ability to take a look at what's really going on. This is this is why back in two thousand and four and three when i was on with neil cavuto on fox news i was on one time and it was you know and i was on there because we were the first western news outlet to publish or to um to post um the beheading videos and i remember getting a call from fox news and in fact we were written up in the usa today big long article about this of which we were just a small part but nonetheless I remember Neil Kugula saying why would you you know why would you put up beheading videos and at the time my answer was very simple because no one in the west is doing so you've got the muslims doing it, the the terrorist muslims doing this uh posting the videos for propaganda purposes but the people in the West are not seeing the brutality of what's taking place. They hear about it, but they're not seeing it. And because we live in a visual society, if we show it with proper warning, 
one time, and that's what we did. We posted them for a limited amount of time. Here it is. You want to see it, and they were awful, horrific, and boy, did I get a lot of hate mail from Christians and from uh, Christians and conservatives to saying you shouldn't post stuff like that. Now it's just common practice. But the bottom line is, uh, I got a lot of people who said thank you because when you when you talk about beheading someone at the time, you know, think back twelve years ago. 13, 14 years ago. The comprehension factor was, was beheading someone in the video, you know, or movies, film. And it was clean and, you know, it was, there was the, the wrong impression. But the bottom line is, uh, um, I, I believe that people need to, should, it, it, depending on the, depending on their um, purpose or what they're doing in life, should see it. To, to understand how brutal and how gory and gruesome it is, not 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 for any perverse reason, but to but to really understand that we are uh, the threat we're facing, the, the the horrific nature of the threat we're facing. I don't even know how I got off on that, but uh, anyway, it was we're talking about banned books and banned yeah. stuff. Here's an article I thought was important: Marine Corps braces for information warfare revolution. The Marine Corps could undergo and overhaul at all levels over the next decade to prepare for future conflicts in which information and warfare will play a critical role. Yep. According to documents obtained by the Washington Free Beacon, the documents outline two courses of action, one dubbed evolutionary, the other revolutionary, <laughs> for the Marine Corps Force 2025 strategy, both verses of which involve boasting what the authors call information warfare capabilities in the Corps ground, aviation, logistics, and command elements. A roughly 300-person operation planning team developed the plans in response to an order from General Robert Neller, the Marine Command, in January. Uh, maintaining the status quo is unacceptable. Failure, failure to change the shape and form of the service will condemn it to irrelevance, the brief reads. Senior Marine leaders are to be briefed on the proposed courses of action. Neller is expected to attend the brief, which will take place Tuesday, April 12th. All right. goes on to say that the uh, Major Anton Semeroth, the Director of Marine Corps Public Affairs Office, confirmed that the Services Force 2025 strategy will be discussed at the meeting this week, during which some senior leaders will give input on a number of possible courses of action. Interesting. He emphasized all options are pre-decisional and will undergo conduct examinations and updates before being presented to Neller for a decision later this year. Both proposed courses of action involve adding to the number of personal tasks with conducting information warfare by reducing the number of Marines tasked with other jobs. The evolutionary and revolutionary plans both add thousands of Marines to information warfare roles. And it goes on to talk about the document. They go on to say information warfare can involve the use of propaganda Mm-hmm. to advance state interest. It can um, take over electrical communication systems, such as the power grid, That's right. civilian or military. And the second aspect of information warfare is electronic warfare. Or confront, uh, yeah, confrontation throughout the electromagnetic spectrum. So expect some changes in Marine Corps policy regarding electronic and informational warfare. 
as again the document is Force 2025 Construct. Going to have to dig into that later. You know, one thing we we mentioned about the Clinton emails, and this is worth a mention. And um, in the in the context, understand this in the context which uh, which I'm going to present this. The State Department it was reported last it was reported yesterday, I believe it was. They're uh, finally turning over the emails, uh, Huma Abedin and Susan Rice Benghazi files. I'm sorry, not the emails, but the files. And this is important because accuracy in media is reporting that while the FBI continues its joint or twin investigations into Clinton's conflicts of interest of the State Department transmission of the classified information on her home server, Obama and the mainstream media, the corporate media, they continue to minimize the controversy. They continue to minimize and say there's nothing to see her move along. They're backing Clinton, basically. The, the corporate media, but but here's the deal. There were a thousand pages of documents that were turned over to the Republican-run House Select Committee on Benghazi. This was done on Friday. The records, some of the records include communications between Clinton's body girl, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, what she is, Huma, and Obama's Benghazi mouthpiece, Susan Rice. Now, enter Congressman Adam Smith. He's from California. He's a Democrat. He called two of the heroes of Benghazi liars on Fox News. Think about that. He didn't even, he didn't even address the allegations that they brought up. He just said they're liars. Uh, he smeared these guys to protect Clinton. Um, keep an eye on this. Now, Trey Gowdy is, is head of the uh, committee that I mentioned. He blasted the the State Department's timing and their compliance with the re- records request. But I don't believe, really, I, th- I think Cla- uh, um, Gowdy, uh, Trey Gowdy is nothing more than just the, the shiny trinket on, on a wind chime that's blowing in the wind and it's not really going to do anything except make some noise and look pretty. That's kind of what I believe is taking place here. The records that were released included hard copy emails from Clinton um, and Cheryl Mills, Jake Sullivan, Huma, and um, Susan Rice, who was then the UN ambassador, if you remember that. Now, these email or these mails, these correspondence, these papers, um, frankly, I, I don't, if you hear anything in the media about this, I don't believe that we're, we're going to see, um, anything of value come from them. I don't think we're going to see any truth come from them. If, if it does, they'll, they'll, I mean, if there's anything, any leaks, it'll be, uh, unfounded and unproven because again, the Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, progressives, regardless, the, they all have their hands bloody in this. There's a cover up and, um, you know, the, the, the select committee, reviewed over 72,000 pages of documents. And um, just recently, the select committee received more than 1,600 documents from the Secretary of State and gained access to CIA records. Now, they were after these records for nearly a year. And after months of negotiations with the White House, the select committee was finally um, 
able to uh, uh, question Susan Rice and Ben Rhodes, which no other congressional committee had done. This is all fine, well, and good. But the bottom line is, to what end? To what end? There won't be. There won't be anything. There will not be again. This is just the the shine. The, the, the you know the when you when you see children going after the shiny trinkets. That's what this is all about. Uh, Trey Gowdy, I believe, is. Um, I don't think he's going to be allowed to bring anything forward about Benghazi, because again, to do so would to, would be to indict the Gang of Eight and everyone else. And this overlaps into the email issue, and it overlaps into her current position as a candidate. And um, bottom line, well, the glove don't fit. You must acquit. <laughs> and we know how that turned out, right? So that, that this is kind of the uh, the OJ scenario in the courtroom. Yeah. And as we are at the end of the program, tomorrow we'll be joined by Stan Dale. And, uh, hour three. In hour three. And uh, I wanted to talk about this today. We didn't get a chance. So, folks, if you want to go to blacklistednews.com, but we will talk about this tomorrow. The war on savings, the Panama Papers, bail-ins and the push to go cashless do, 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 you, do you think what do you think do you, to, tomorrow first two hours we should get into the globalist aspect of the economy the the panama papers well, the yeah, tpp the, and such absolutely because the panama papers are um a leak by a insider u.s right citizen or a person who is influential in the but you notice no american citizen was on was, exactly Right. Exactly. And you won't see that because it was a uh, targeted leak with information withheld. It's the motive. It's the motive. Why now? Why this person? Why the, you know. Do not expect the genuine expose of Western capitalism. There you go. The dirty secrets of Western corporations will remain unpublished, except hits at Russia, Iran, and Syria, and some tiny balancing Western countries like Iceland. All right. Well, our, our thanks to many, many people, everyone listening. God bless you. Thank you from all across the world. Thank you for listening. I want to thank a special thanks to um, the Chance and America's Rebel Wholesale. Yeah, they'll be done um, with us tomorrow yeah, yeah. for a short time. Healthmasters.com. Healthmasters.com. This week, too, Dave Hodges is going to be on with us for a couple of hours. Tomorrow night, Stan Dale. Wednesday, your calls. I can't wait. Until tomorrow. This is the Global Star Radio Network. The Genesis Communication.